0: Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. This morning, if you could um, wrap up your conversations and find a seat of as you can we can move on into our passage this morning. I get the opportunity this morning to share with you a little bit on the concept of faith which is one of the things that I think is just so important and maybe one of the most misunderstood terms that are used not only in society but also of those of people of faith. One of the things that um, that I want you to consider is what do you consider as faith what is faith to you and then the second thing, I want you to ask yourself is, you know, are you a person of faith? And then, after that, I'd like you to think about what it would take to create an equation that would equal faith. What is faith made out of? Now, we've just left the fifth warning of Hebrews regarding repeated sin. Finally, we get to some really positive things. This, is, this concept of faith has just been building up to what we're going to be doing this morning in Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. We've been exploring the concept of faith in terms of its importance and the evidence it manifests. And like I said, it's been building up to what we have been um, coming into in Ephesians, I'm sorry, Hebrews 11. That's okay. Last service it was Romans, so Uh, I think I'm Going backwards. Okay. Anyway, um, Hebrews 4.2 says, For indeed we have had good news preached to us just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united or mixed with faith. In those who heard. And then Hebrews 6:1 was a passage that I kind of addressed. And it said, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. So we see here that at the very beginning of our first verse, we have two different people that heard the word of God. One profited, the other didn't. And the reason why it profited it was because it was mixed with faith. Now, I'm going to take a little pause here. But you think about it. What Jesus addressed in people was faith, right? Constantly, constantly challenging people. Do you have faith? Um, So we find out that the ones who had heard benefited from it because they had faith. The ones that didn't, it wasn't mixed with faith. It was just things they heard. It was facts they learned. And then the second one is elementary teaching seems to indicate that, um, well, you know, we talk about the idea of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. So, are we saying that faith is an elementary teaching? I would like to suggest you no. Know, focus on the word foundation. It is something that is built on. Hopefully, I don't have I don't look at faith the same way I did when I was thirty right now hopefully that has begun a foundation that has grown that has challenged me and it's so important that we understand this not only did jesus address it not only is it mentioned throughout the new testament it's so imperative that we understand because in 11:6 it says without faith it is impossible to please god So, we find that this word faith is is so concentrated in the New Testament. It's so important for us to understand. It's an indispensable channel of what it means to be a Christian. Ephesians 2 8 through 9 says it this way For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, but it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. It is the entry. It is the element that helps us mature, and it is the crowning glory of knowing Jesus. Now, in our society, faith is also used, right? It can be used in legal terms, good faith, used in contracts. Um, it can be used in derogatory terms, blind faith. How many times have you heard that? I don't have blind faith, you know. It's like, what? You don't have blind faith? You ever been married? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like you do not know what that person's going to be in 20 years, right? But man, you go on what you know and you move forward. And then I started thinking about this in terms of my um, work as a mental health therapist. You know, many psychological disorders are due to a lack of faith. Follow with me a little bit. Things like agoraphobic disorder where you're afraid to leave your house. What is that? You're afraid to go outside. Why? Because you don't have faith that it's safe, that all those elements are going to protect you. Anxiety attacks, those kinds of things are where your autonomic nervous system has been broken down. And why? Why, because you didn't have the faith to move forward, to know that everything was gonna be okay. Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But for that to be true, You have to have faith, and you have to be able to see beyond what you're going through. The other one that um, really popped out to me was this thing called failure to thrive. Maybe you've heard of it. I used to work with children in severe neglect situations, and I take these infants, and they had fallen way off the growth curve. In other words, they were dying, starving to death, but they were being fed. But there was a syndrome going on in them that didn't trust the people that were caring for them. And they detached. They didn't have the emotional stimulus. They didn't have the care and and the, the environment, the nurturing environment that allowed them to grow. So this becomes a challenge. So what I do is I put them in homes that could do all those things. And you know what happened? It's still, they were still off the growth chart in weight and length. It took them so long to build trust to sense that things were going to be okay, that they could trust the people caring for them, that they would be all right. (sighs) Trauma as well. And I don't want to go too far into this, but um, I remember a, a child abduction case I had where the girl had been abducted at the age of six, and everyone thought she was abducted, and she was on news and everything else, but it turns out that her parents sold her. And when that came out, She was cutting on herself, suicidal, struggling. And she hadn't addressed any of that in all of her years of therapy after we found her and after we found out what really happened. And she wanted to believe that her mother still cared for her. So there's this kind of faith that sometimes you have to hold back on. But in every case, whether you extend faith or you hold back on it, it's always based on rationality. Every aspect of our life involves faith. We have occupation or business. If you're in a business, you know, it involves faith. Um, you do that SBA loan. You got a five-year plan. All that fun stuff. How about marriage? Right. I already talked about that one. That always involves faith. Trusting the other person, knowing that, the, knowing who that person is, and. And focusing on that and knowing that they will do the right thing. Parenting, how's that? You drop your kids off for school, you let them hang around with friends, (laughs) they go to people's houses, gets kind of questionable, love. So many people these days are afraid to love. Afraid to love, why? So they won't get hurt. Investments, right? Especially when financial times are challenging. It's really hard sometimes to establish faith and in investment. Actually, it's some of the best times to invest. But you're not feeling it and you're not seeing it. you got to have faith. How about donations? You donate to a 5013C and you are giving that money and you believe they are going to do what they say they're going to do with that money. And sometimes you hear of these terrible stories. Like uh, there was one... Um, one organization that 80% went to the organization 20% went to the cause and People were given their money. Just hope just believing that they could do it So maybe there's sometimes once again faith shouldn't happen there. How about this one diets, right? How many of you go on a diet? Thinking it won't work Right you go on a diet hoping visualizing what you're going to look like. I'm still trying to get into my bathing suit all right <clears throat> Governing authorities, huh? Uh, this is a tough one. You go to sleep at night. Do you worry about your governing authorities? No, there's a level of faith you have in that. Now, I, I, sometimes it gets a little hard. I understand that. But there still is an element of faith that you are required to have to survive. <sighs> Mine, getting my hair cut. The person who cut my hair had the gall to stop cutting hair and help her husband with her new business, leaving me in a very precarious situation. So I thought if I just didn't cut my hair, it would take care of things. Didn't take care of things. And I had to go experiment with other people cutting my hair, but I am a horrible communicator. So I don't really know what to tell them. I have to rely on their expertise to read my mind to cut my hair, and finally I was able to find someone to do that, and I was quite relieved. But otherwise, I'd come home and my wife would go, interesting. (laughs) The the worst one I had was when my son looked at me, and not Brendan, it would be David, but he looked at me and he goes, (laughs) dumb dumb and dumber. going to the bank, you drop your money off at a bank, you trust them to do the investments, you're hoping that that thing works and you have faith. If you're a military leader and you go into battle, you have faith in the people that are fighting that battle. You have faith in the plan. You have faith in your education, etc. So because living requires faith, we must understand that to grow and develop it is now necessary for us. A person cannot develop faith, when a person can't develop faith, it means that a contaminant has been ingested. I've already talked about some of that experience, trauma, cognitive distortion, or an inaccurate assessment of facts. We don't have all the facts, and we're not balanced in how we're perceiving reality. So I want to go into what faith is not, because I find that, like I said at the very beginning, faith is something that's kind of misunderstood. In various ways. But first of all, faith is not denial. It's not a pseudo-spiritual hope that attempts to satisfy our discontent. I just deny discontent. I just deny problems and just have faith so I don't have to deal with anything. Faith is not a fictional delusion. It doesn't find a story storyline to fill in the gaps of fear and guilt. It doesn't try to escape reality. Actually, faith deals and confronts reality. Faith is not an excuse to avoid obligations or deal with things you may not like. You know, I I just, I know I've got to make my house payment. I have no money, but I'm going to have faith. Have you gotten a job? Might help. Um, Faith is not a license to do what you want, to walk in the flesh. Don't you hate that? someone walks in the flesh and they're doing things but, but God told me to do it I have faith oh yes you know I've had that happen to me with different types of people and I keep thinking you know tell God to CC me on your message please because it is impossible to walk in the flesh and to manifest the fruits of the spirit at the same time Faith is not a license to sin. Uh, that, that's a fun one, too. The idea that um, when someone's <laughs> in counseling, right, um, I deal with a lot of non-believers, and I deal with a lot of believers, and I get many times the same response. You know a believer believing couples coming together, and they are living together. Sleeping together and everything else, and we talk about that. You know, how does that mesh with your faith? What is that? Well, we've decided that that's not really a problem. That that God knows our hearts, and I'm going, yikes. We can't approach our lives like that. It has to be conformed to reality, to truth. Boy, the world teaches us that faith is difficult, right? And I'm here to tell you this morning, it's not. Most individuals are born with a concept of God. Kids and young people don't have a problem believing or conceptualizing a God. It's not only till we grow older. And, and, And we kind of look for anything to convince ourselves not to have faith. And we have lots of people to help us. We have educators, songwriters, websites, news organizations. These all work hard to discount and erode faith. You know, when we look at kids and their ability to see God and to see faith, and we look at Romans 1 that says that God is evident from within them, then we realize we were born with this innate sense of faith, a capacity for faith. That's why we need it in every area of our life. Maybe that's why Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless you change and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of God. You have to reinitiate your capacity for faith. So if you were to create a formula, what would that make, what, what would that look like? What would be the compounds of faith? And I'm really hoping that as we look at our verse today, this, this passage is going to challenge you towards that goal. Once again, without the components of the proper equation, your conclusion may be elusive. It may be incomplete. So open your Bibles right now to Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Let's dig into this and see what faith is according to the book of Hebrews. Now, faith is a certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. For by it the people of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the world has been created by the word of God, so that what is seen has not been made out of things that are visible. Fantastic. We begin that faith is. This is a definite. And it begins with a certainty of things, a proof of things, an understanding of things it's not based on on just a notion or a feeling. It's based on knowledge and on understanding. So the scripture is very clear about this. If you've ever studied the idea of listening or hearing, you can develop a very clean theology of listening. But basically, when we look at this, we look at how many times hearing is mentioned in the Word of God? And when we do, we look at it as hearing and then ascending and applying truth. Ascending to conviction, ascending to a belief, ascending to assurance. Romans 10 14. How do they hear? How are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they whom had whom they ah. How are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? And that, that's not just my job, that's our job, right? And Hebrews 4.2, this is one that I covered. It said, for indeed, we've had good news preached to us just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united or mixed by faith in those who heard. Same word. So what I was saying is, faith begins with the realization of truth. It begins with the word of God. It begins with an understanding of who God is, and then it grows. That understanding grows, and as it grows, your faith grows. Truth is perceived, filtered, and filed in memory stores. And it begins in three parts, sensory memory, short-term memory, and long-term memory. Sensory memory is exactly what we're experiencing right now. We know exactly what's going on all around us. If it's not important, the brain discards it and moves into short-term memory. Short-term memory can be about three to four days. And what happens is we remember kind of what's going on. And then long-term memory are the real important things, the experiences, the people, the relationships. So what happens in when we understand the word of God, it goes through our sensory memory. We hear it, but do we remember it? Right? Does it become important to us? If it does, it goes through the three-day model or four-day. And then if it's something we apply and we put into our life, it goes into our long term. That's how faith grows. That's why some people can come here and they can hear all about the good news of Jesus Christ. And they can walk away from it because it never made it past their sensory memory. When it starts growing, that's when it becomes very important. And that's how it develops within us. So we find that knowledge comes in two forms. One is factual knowledge, I've already talked about, but also is relational knowledge. This this idea that, as it says in John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, relationally know you, the experience, the interaction, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. John 14, 8 through 21 Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you for so long a time, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The more you walk, with God. The more you understand who Jesus is, the more this becomes permanent. Even if you stray, even if you walk away, that relationship calls you back. My sheep hear my voice and they know my name. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So we have knowledge and we have, we, we've heard, we have knowledge and now we're talking about things hoped for. That's the next step after knowledge, right? When we know something, we can rest on that and believe on it, and we can see hope through it. This is the time when we're really challenged, right? The ability to stand when we're facing trials, when we're facing those things that are really stretching us, creating anxiety. But the ability to stand means that, once again, we have knowledge on the Word of God. And that Mm -hmm. Word of God says very clearly that there's a spiritual dimension that's operating around us. The heavenlies. And the cool thing is we've been blessed in the heavenlies. Now, in that realm, we need to understand that's where spiritual warfare takes place. We have no control over it. But we know who we believe. And we're persuaded that he is able to keep that which we've entrusted unto him until that day. And this hope that we have is not a birthday wish. It's not like we're we're rubbing some sort of a rabbit's foot or, or just the image of a cross around our neck. This hope is is very very real. Why? Because it's conceived when knowledge has been confirmed. It's gone through our memory stores. This is why it follows the certainty of things. That's when we get hope. That's when we know we're struggling. That's when we're not sure what's happening around us. That's why when our marriage is is not looking so great right now, we have hope in who God is and what he's doing. Remember? God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Hope finds itself nurtured through perspective and guarded by rational thinking and following logic. It is the driving force for the believer. It's what moves us forward. It challenges fear, faces failure, with a blueprint of things hoped for. It is what we believe can happen through our God who is who makes all things possible. So, We move from things hoped for to the proof of things not seen. You know, the longer you walk with God, the more you see what he's doing in your life. You see what he's doing around you. You focus on that. You know that is who is in charge. It's a proof of things not seen. We realize that the world was not made out of material or visible matters. It was made out of the invisible because we know that's what God said, and that's what we believe. I like a statement made by P.J. Lewis. P.J. Lewis was a pastor who used to be in this congregation, and um, it was so simplistic. As you probably figure out now, I tend not to be simplistic. But what he says is really powerful. He says, God knows what's best. God's in control. Therefore, we can trust him with our lives. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that a great statement? He started thinking about that. If we take our faith like children and we take the biblical concept that God is our father and we can trust him in a nurturing and stimulating environment that's going to take care of our needs, even when we're struggling, he will stay with us. It opens up a whole new door. It's not about the things we see or we experience, it's about who he is and what we understand him to be. A conviction of things not seen indicates not only a desire for something better, but it, it's an awareness of a truth and its interaction with the present phenomenological sense of reality. Everything going on around us, we tie to him. You know, psychology has this little game called grounding and the idea works like this. If you're having anxiety or if you're really struggling right now, what you do is you follow the finger half around, a couple times around, three times around, and this idea that you will somehow be grounded, and it'll last about eight, nine, ten minutes. You know, there is no lasting value to it, but man, faith is the ultimate grounding technique. It is logical. It is cognitive. It is powerful. It means that we become aware, like I said before, that we're surrounded by an invisible spirit kingdom. We realize also, and we come to terms with the fact that that our seen realities can't be the answer for everything. We further grasp that there are realities which can't be seen, weighed, measured, analyzed, or touched through scientific or existential processes. These unseen elements are just as real and as vital as anything we can see. And scientists have learned this. They are significant because they are the explanation of things which can be seen. Isn't that cool? The very faith in things that are unseen become the explanation and the confidence and the connection for things that are seen. It's out of our control former president of Stanford Research Institute, put it this way. He says, through the years I've struggled to gain a greater understanding of electricity and magnetism in order to help harness those forces for man's use. Even so, I cannot cannot now give a lucid definition of electricity or magnetism, except to say they are invisible forces which have real manifestations. Invisible forces that have real manifestations. We can't see electricity. We can't see gravity or wind or spirit. But we can see God. We can experience God. We can have a relationship with him. But to deny the existence of all those things because they are invisible leaves us with far less than any sort of standard of intellectual integrity. Northwestern University, just on their website this week, put it this way. The interactions of electricity and magnetism are difficult to explain in non-technical terms. This is primarily because one has to describe the interactions in terms of invisible force fields, which shift, expand, contract, strengthen, weaken, and rotate in space. And these are very difficult to describe adequately in verbal terms. In mathematical terms, coupled sets of three-dimensional vector differential equations are required, and these are also quite difficult to visualize. We live in a world of the invisible forces. Why is it so hard to believe in our God who isn't visible right now? You know what another question is? Why was it so hard to realize Jesus when he was on earth and not recognize him when he did all the things that were visible. The key to faith is in what we see. The key to faith is who we know. So where do you place your trust? Is it in the seen or the unseen? In the controlled environments? I just simply would suggest to you that you don't have a choice. You don't even know, but you're placing your trust in the unseen. It's very real. And so, my confession, right? when things went wrong in my life, and I'm going on 100, and I look back and I I trace these things every time it wasn't my work, it wasn't my marriage, it wasn't my kids, it was my faith, every time. That's why it's so important. 11.2 says, for by it, faith, people of old gained approval. Well, we're going to be looking at the ones they they list um, a little deeper in Hebrews in the um, life of Christ. But I was just thinking about the ones I had encountered in my whole hundred years of experience. And the idea was I, I was trying to see people who really influenced me. You know, the first ones that came to mind were the missionaries in Desert Storm two young women that were placed in Afghanistan. And they were there, and they were missionaries there. And they were taken capture after two days of desert storm. And they were raped nightly. And you know what they did every night? They had a worship service. They praised God for who he was and what he was doing Now, you can say, okay, maybe that was a little sensationalized. I don't know how you sensationalize that. But look, the interesting thing was news crews tried to catch up with them after Desert Storm was over. And they tried to catch up with those missionaries. And they said, you know, what do you think about all that now? And they said, we can't wait to get back. Those people need to know Jesus. I don't think that was the answer they were expecting. That's faith and of course um, Zeta and Hazel who I will talk about frequently when I was in my undergraduate um, work in um, Missouri I worked at a, I didn't work at but we volunteered at a restroom and we did services for them and one of the cool things about these two wonderful magnificent older ladies 89 and 91 it was just somewhere in that Range. I don't really remember the ages, but they were so old. But you know what they were doing in their latter years of life? They had a ministry in that rest home. And they would go and they'd pray with people and they would help people. And and I would come and they would give me the needs of everybody and what I needed to do. And they were fantastic. And what really struck me was during Christmas break when Zeta passed away. And they were roommates. Not only had she been widowed, not only had she lost most of her family, but now she lost her best friend. I will always remember her because when I came back from my my winter break, it was business as usual. She was praying, she was encouraging. That's faith. The life of Christ, every day he walked, everything was about faith. You know, all this stuff about faith and fantasy. We need to realize that faith puts us immediately in touch with reality. Faith is a way by which we can interweave the torturous windings of reason, resolve trial and error to connect the basic facts of life immediately. It's a way of fine-tuning the illusion that guides us and vets out the disillusion that threatens us and distracts us. It brings us right to the point to show us things as they really are. In short, faith is dealing, confronting, and embracing facts. And this faith is the thing that grounds us immediately to reality. So let's work on a summation a little bit here. It begins with hearing which is confirmed in the word of God. It is realized and ascended to commitment and conviction. It's secure in things that are hoped for and based in realities in the heavenly places. It produces hope for things to follow his pattern rather than our limited rational perspectives. Peter in the boat is one of my favorite stories, right? You know, Peter's out in the boat. Jesus comes walking out in the water. Peter goes, well, That looks cool. I don't want to do that. And so he says, Hey, let me come out. Jesus says, Hey, come on out, Peter. Everyone makes fun of him, but I think he's nuts, you know? I don't think I would have been the one to say, hey, I want to get out there, but he does. He jumps right out of the boat, and he starts walking, and the farther he gets away from the safety of the boat, the more he starts looking at the depth of the sea, the more the waves are coming around him, fear grows. The farther he gets away from the boat, fear grows, and he sinks. And Jesus doesn't go, wow, really, Peter? he reaches down and helps him up. Now, I don't know what happened after that. They don't really describe it very well. Um, Maybe you think Jesus carried Peter back to the boat, but I'm kind of thinking that he helped him up and they walked back together. That's kind of what I I see happening, that Jesus' contact with him got him in contact with not the waves, not the miraculous walking on the sea, but the reality of who Jesus was. Faith allows you to see the possible, which means if you're not seeing the possible, something is interfering. There's been a contaminant that has been interjected into your ability to have faith. I liked it when um, Jesus was asked if, uh, if he could do something, and he says in um, Mark 9, 23, he says, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Isn't that cool? So what does this mean for us? Well, let me just tell you. Science cannot foretell human history. But by my knowledge in the word of God, I know. Science can't tell me what's wrong with human nature, why I choose evil and have a propensity towards selfishness. However, by my knowledge in the word of God, I know. Science cannot, with assurance, tell me if there's life after death. However, by my knowledge, in the word of God, I know. Science cannot explain the mysteries of my sexuality, gender, or relieve existential crisis or terror. That's the fear of death and purpose in life. But by my knowledge in the word of God, I know. I practiced it. I've experienced it. It works. And there's no other way to live in faith than to have more of it. So what are these signs, these indication of faith problems? Well, when I deal with it, with people, it's a loss of their possible self. That's what Satan tries to do. He tries to take away your possible self. You know, you're just not good enough. You don't play well enough to be in the worship team. Or you can't teach because you're just not good enough. You know, I gave up trying to be the best a long time ago. God takes me as I am and he just uses me. Heirs and all. And because I've allowed him to do that, I allow the blame to be on him. No, just kidding. Uh, I, 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 I allow him to produce fruit in that truth. When you lose your possible self, it's a a sign of of a contaminant in your faith. The other one is the loss of the possibilities of God is a sign of a contaminated capacity to trust. You know, when you don't see him for who he is, when you're focusing only on what's going on, what is seen, A failure to recognize present realities and past events and their connection with the knowledge of God coupled with a failed awareness that within the universe there is something else. There's something much greater. There's a person who's real. Loss of hope, another sign of problems with faith. But what happens when we lose faith? When we don't find any evidence to support the hoped for outcome? What happens when faith loses its sense of truth? We challenge our understanding, people, with the knowledge that faith is not dependent on the subjective. We don't rely on feelings to determine faith. That's just as wrong as trying to rely on just what is seen. We see the evidence of things that are unseen. Hope is based on knowledge that has ascended to conviction and assurance. So Hebrews 11.6 says, He who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he proves to be one who rewards those who diligently seek him. I would imagine that someday after man's reasoning has slowly and torturously been exhausted, mankind will find answers that could have been found through faith thousands of years before. This is why faith always pleases God, because it comes to grips with reality that God is the ultimate realist. Jesus called out the Pharisees as phonies. He constantly was helping people see that which was real and that which was not. He highlighted the widow's mind as an illustration of the genuine in faith. This means that that to trust his word as a plain statement of truth, ignoring all the mocking taunts of those who think they know better, will not be an easy path, but it will be an absolutely sure one. It will produce assurance. This is what faith produces, assurance. It begins with hearing, which is confirmed in the knowledge of God it's realized and ascended to commitment, securing things that are hoped for and based in the heavenly realms. It produces hope for things to follow his pattern rather than our limited rational perspectives. So I asked, the first question was, are you a person of faith? Let's hold off on this. Let's just make sure we have the equation right. It's hearing plus receiving truth, knowledge, ascending to commitment, plus trusting in the unseen and recognize the evidence of his existence, plus acting on your knowledge and conviction, this equals faith. Now faith is a certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen, for by it people of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the world was created by the word of God and that what, that what is seen has not been made of things that are visible. Second question, are you a person of faith? Just go through your life right now. See what you're struggling with. You know, if you are struggling with trusting your spouse, job, church, health, finances, relationships, sense of self, then you may be basing your faith in something very temporal, what you can see. But if you're placing your faith on who Jesus is, and what he's done in your life, and what he can do, and his possibilities, you will have hope. And over periods of time, it will be tested, and you will have assurance. What you can do to perfect this is remember what you've learned, convict yourself to follow truth, not feelings, not what you see, ascend a commitment, look for the evidence of things not seen, see what God is doing all around you. Don't just look for problems. See what he's doing, his his activity in your life and in others. Look to life patterns of faithful people. You know, that's what I do. I look towards the people that have really impacted me in terms of faith. And the last is stand, stand, and stand. Such a powerful thing, faith. It's such an essential. Join me in prayer. Father, we come to you today, having heard, having understood, and now, Father, we trust your spirit to just work in us to help us move forward in in our faith. Father, as we review, and as your spirit works inside of us right now, Father, I just pray that you would illuminate the areas in my life and in others' lives where faith has been a struggle and father that we would convict ourselves to ascend to that knowledge of conviction to that knowledge of of assurance that you are in control you are the person that we look to that we do not look to what we see to what we experience and what we feel but we look to the things that are unseen that we know there's a spiritual kingdom around us the spiritual kingdom that good and evil are fighting in and that you sit at the right hand of God in that spiritual realm that you're the one in charge thank you Lord for loving us thank you for giving us access to you through faith in Jesus name amen thanks for tuning in and joining us today we hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.